agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. With me today is political and policy analyst Kristen Matheny. Hey, Kristen. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am doing okay today. How about you? I'm also okay. Okay. (laughs) You know, before we get to what will obviously be our top story, I know listeners probably realize that we are back to our old theme, uh, love the government. And there were some issues with rights and so forth. And thankfully, we were able to work everything out or almost work everything out. I still have to sign a a few things in here and there. But uh, in the interim, they have agreed to let us use the use the song. And, you know, uh, even though our new agreement doesn't require us to mention the artist. I want to because they've been great. Oh, Papa Giraffe. And just want to give them a shout out and encourage people to check out the full version of Love the Government and all their other stuff on the Free Music Archive. And we will also put a link in the show notes. So thank you guys for that. Also, thanks to everyone who's been helping us out by not fast forwarding through our sponsor ads, as well as checking out our sponsors, because That support shows up in our stats that our sponsors track, and that makes it easier for us to keep finding the sponsorships we need to keep the show going. And, you know, of course, for people, if you're if you're vehemently anti ad, well, all of our Patreon supporters get completely ad free versions of every episode we do. And to find out more about all the Patreon stuff, just go to Patreon.com slash politics guys. And with that out of the way, Kristen, uh, so what are we leading with today? As if oh, I didn't know. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. It's the impeachment, <laughs> uh, the impeachment trial. So just a, a quick update, um, because, you know, there's been a lot this week, just like there was last week. And um, there's been a lot in the last 24 hours. So I'll just do some of the more recent updates. So this past Friday, which was yesterday, if you're listening on Saturday, uh, Republicans in the Senate were able to grab enough votes to reject the call for new witnesses in the presidential impeachment trial. As expected, Democrats commented that this was a sad day and decried the failure of the motion. And Republicans said that this has had been an attempt by Democrats to extend the trial and that things needed to be wrapped up. So this kind of went according to what most of us were thinking and about how it would go. Um, and then this weekend, the Senate is adjourned. So not much going on today today or tomorrow, obviously. And the closing arguments and the speeches will take place on Monday. The final vote, um, or I should say votes on the articles of impeachment are scheduled for Wednesday. And I just wanted to quickly point out that there are two really big events happening before that, which may have been part of this deal brokered between Republicans and Democrats to push that those votes to Wednesday. And that's the Iowa caucus. And we'll talk more about that later. But that's uh, Monday, February 3rd. And the State of the Union is Tuesday, February 4th. So it's going to be a jam-packed week. No kidding. No kidding. (laughs) So that's sort of where we are. Um, I don't know about you. I I kind of, I, I had just gotten home from work and I was you know, trying to unwind or whatever. And I ran into the bedroom, into the other room to watch on TV the vote. But, yeah. I, you know, I think we all kind of knew how it would go. I'm sure you felt the same way. Well, you know, on that, uh, on that vote. So Democrats were hoping that four Republicans, they get the four Republicans they needed to call mm-hmm. uh, witnesses, especially John Bolton. And of course, those four Republicans were, were Mitt Romney and Susan Collins, who did in fact vote that way. And then 
uh, retiring Lamar Alexander and Lisa Murkowski. Now, I think that Alexander's and Murkowski's rationales were are, are worth talking about. For, I mean, for yep. voting against it, at least a little bit. And what Alexander basically said is he he sort of conceded that yes, whatever Bolton said is right, but it doesn't matter because it's not impeachable. So he basically said, "What's the point if I am willing to accept what the witness said?" Why would I need to hear from the witness? And Murkowski said, well, this is, uh, there's no way there's going to be a fair trial here. And having witnesses or not isn't going to change anything. So I'm voting against it. And, you know, it's sort of hard to argue with those two, <laughs> two things. I mean, I, I would, I may be looking at it as not a fair trial in a different way than Murkowski is, but. I can't say that those are ridiculous motives for voting against witnesses, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So that was by far the one of the lesser ridiculous things that happened this week. Now, for the height of ridiculousness, I would refer people to Alan Dershowitz, who I, I don't knew know, you were going to say that. I knew I don't it. Know what happened to him? Some sort of traumatic brain injury or something. But uh, but yeah, the uh, the Dershowitz claim where he went way out there. To not just say, right, that, well, even if he did it, it's not impeachable, but no, to say that as long as the president just thinks that his being reelected would be a good thing, then he can do anything that's not an actual crime and it's not impeachable. And that was, that was like, well, okay, uh, wow, what, what bizarro world did you bring that in from? So anyway, th- those are my two comments about what happened this week. And I'm wondering what, what you think about those two things, Kristen. Uh, well, so yesterday, I think all of us were sort of waiting because there were the, the big four. How are these big four Republicans going to vote? And um, I think Democrats were eyeing the four of them and, you know, kind of hoping that they would, I guess, vote in favor of witnesses. Um, and, th- and you know, it's funny because there are actually a lot of Republicans, maybe not necessarily lawmakers, but pundits who were saying, like, for example, um, I listened to the Ben Shapiro podcast and he was actually arguing for introducing witnesses for probably very non, you know, Democratic Party reasons. But, you know, he was arguing for witnesses. He, he put forth a pretty compelling argument. Um, and, and I think I, I got the impression that a lot of that, a lot of the waffling on the part of these four Democrats was political. Um, I think it, it's funny because the one that actually struck me as really interesting was Susan Collins, believe it or not, because I figured she would vote um, to hear from the witnesses. but. You know, she she comes from a heavily sort of liberal leaning. She comes from Maine. You know, she her district is fairly liberal leaning. Um, she's got her eye on 2020. She wants to be uh, eventually reelected. And I think, um, you know, once Lamar Alexander kind of came out in front and said that he was going to vote against witnesses. And, you know, once Mitt Romney came out and said he was going to uh, he was going to vote for witnesses. I think she kind of threw her hat in the ring for political reasons. I thought her res- her response was the shortest of all of those responses. Um, I, you know, I think she I, I think she kind of took the high road politically, knowing that it it wouldn't really matter what she said because th- we weren't going to hear from witnesses anyway. Yeah. I w- in terms of Lamar Alexander and Lisa Murkowski, what they said. Um, I pay more attention to what Lamar Alexander said, um, because I think a lot of it seemed true to me. Yes, he did these things. Yes, they were probably ethically questionable, to say the least or the most, depending on how you look at it. However, does it rise to the level of 
impe- you know, in being impeached and probably not. The, the issue I had with what Lamar Alexander said was that he wasn't actually addressing the vote on the witnesses. He was talking more about why he thinks the president shouldn't be impeached. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about the president, you know, the way we would solve this is, is you know, the 2020 election would be a referendum on President Trump. And I, I like this argument. I, I, I personally take this stance when it comes to this whole trial that really all of this shouldn't be solved in an impeachment trial. This should all come down to 2020. If you don't like the president, you should elect him out, you know, get him right out of office and elect somebody else, somebody that you think is better. Um, in terms of the Alan Dershowitz thing, it's funny because I, I watch this. So um, I've always had a lot of respect for Alan Dershowitz. I've always thought I used he would. to. Uh, yeah, you know. I, and I, and you know, I, I know a lot of Democrats who who say that. And I know a lot of Republicans who couldn't stand him for years and years. And and now, it's, you know, it's. I mean, this is how politics are. I've become so jaded by it. But um, I've always had a lot of respect for him. He's he's always been somebody that I I respected, even though I didn't always agree with him. Um, and I think that um. He made some statements that were confusing, to say the least. Um, I think he made. I think. I think what interested me more was the reaction to it. I think that there were Democrats who were kind of setting up this straw man argument. Not all of them, but uh, particularly, I'm thinking of Adam Schiff, and he was setting up the strong man argument, saying, "Well, he was arguing this. Um, he was saying that nothing that the impres- that the president does is impeachable." But then you had Republicans who were sort of like twisting what Dershowitz said in their direction too. And uh, you know, I thought it was interesting that there was you know punditry back and forth, but there was no focus on what Alan Dershowitz actually said. So I, I guess that was kind of a highlight of yeah. what happened with Dershowitz yeah. this week. And, but, but what he actually said was just flies in the face of any, I would say, any reasonable interpretation of of the Constitution and what the framers had in mind. And certainly it flies in the face of what the uh, what almost every constitutional expert on both sides of the aisle has concluded up until this point. But it was just an extreme argument to kind of throw out there. And so that way, I think it gave Republicans even more cover, not that they needed it because they had the, well, wrongdoing, but not impeachable sort of thing. So, and, you know, I I certainly would have voted for hearing testimony simply because even though I agree with both Murkowski and Collins on their rationales, you know, this, as a lot of people have said, this isn't just about a vote in the Senate. This is about getting out information to the American people. And this was uh, this was a big platform for that. And so I can understand why Republicans wouldn't want John Bolton to have that platform to say damaging things about what the president did. And so that's what Republicans chose to do. And maybe even strategically, it works better for Democrats in that in one sense, because now they can plausibly say, well, this is at least in part a, a, a cover up an unfair trial when it would have been harder for them to say that had there been witnesses called and, and uh, cross-examined. Yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, obviously I, I agree with you to some extent and I disagree. Um, I kind of just feel like the ball had been dropped by Democrats, especially this week more than last week. I kept, I feel like I kept waiting for something, not, not with any sense of hope, but just, you know, Adam Schiff kept re- now I'm thinking about this. This is going to sound strange. I'm thinking about this like as if I was a Democrat. You know, if if I was a Democrat, I'd be watching this and I'd be saying, OK, they keep saying that they have the evidence. Well, if they have the evidence, then why do they need the witnesses? And so, you know, 
I guess the, the most confusing thing for me this week is that if I were a Democrat, I'd be upset with people like Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler, because if they had sort of done their due diligence in the beginning and they'd done their job, I feel like none of this would have been an issue. I mean, it, if they hadn't sort of rammed this through, there might have been an opportunity to adjudicate the subpoena of Bolton, for example, well, yeah. there were some other like procedural issues. And so, you know, I really tried this week to put myself in an in an, in an in Democrat shoes and say, if I were a Democrat, this would infuriate me. This process would really infuriate me and not, you know, because it's an emotional process, but because procedurally the ball was just dropped. Well, you know, I for the last week. I have been trying. I've been like a lot of people suffering from impeachment fatigue. Uh, how how oh, could you not? Too. Oh my and gosh! Yes, when I yes. was preparing for the show today, I, I I was in the last couple of days. It's really just been I've been obsessing over what can I say and how can we approach this in a way that just doesn't repeat what everyone has been saying everywhere else. And it just it got into my head in, in the worst way. It, it affected my workout and just everything. It was just. <laughs> Like, you know, it became that thing. And, and w what I thought about is uh, related to a comment that a listener uh, made last week. He accused me of Trump derangement syndrome and, uh, based on last week's episode. And I thought about that because I think it's important to take, you know, to at least consider criticisms. And I agree. And I said last week that I would vote to convict and remove the president. But I realized that, you know, I was prejudging because I said that before I even heard the president's defense. Now, it, of course, most of us are guilty of some degree of motivated reasoning on this and, and almost every other issue, right? We start with our preferred conclusion or outcome, and then we work backward to find the evidence, the Confirmation arguments. Confirmation yeah, bias. There you go. You know, the cornerstone of psychology. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. what I thought I would do this week is really challenge myself on this. I wanted to go at things the opposite way. And what I mean by that is, I wanted to start with some basic principles concerning impeachment. I mean, principles that would apply no matter who the president was or what I thought of him or her. And then from there, I could reason my way forward and not, you know, backward from this predetermined preferred conclusion. And I was just, I just said to myself, I wonder where this is going to take me. And so are you willing to go on this journey with me here, oh, uh, Kristen? Me? Yeah, Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So I, yeah. I, I, well, I found some things that really kind of surprised me. Um, but before I do that, I just want to thank our two sponsors for today. The first one is Empower. And if you're interested in saving a lot more in 2020, the Empower app can help make that a reality. With Empower, saving and managing your money couldn't be easier. Their set it and forget it auto save function lets you put in your weekly savings target and then every day Empower studies your income and spending and automatically moves the right amount of money into your savings account where you're going to be less likely to spend it. And in addition to that, Empower can actually negotiate your phone and cable bills for you. Very cool. And they've also got real live human being coaches who can not chatbots, real people who can, you can text for individualized recommendations. So if you want to say big this year, download Empower. That's E-M-P-O-W-E-R in the App Store or Play Store. I did, and over 650,000 other people have too. And even better, Politics Guys listeners, you get $5 when you use offer code politicsguys and reach your savings goal. Visit empower.me slash politicsguys for more details. And our second sponsor, 
SaneBox, you know, I've mentioned them before because what SaneBox did to my disaster zone of an inbox was nothing short of amazing. As your email comes in, SaneBox AI keeps only the important messages in your inbox and directs those other distracting and much less important messages to your Sane Later folder, which means you immediately know what you need to pay attention to right now and what can wait. And it also has a bunch of other great features like Sane Black Hole, where you can put messages from annoying senders you never want to hear from again. And Sane Reminders, this incredibly useful feature that lets you know if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. And best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone anywhere you check your email. So check out how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com slash politicsguys today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash politics guys. Okay, so Kristen, here, here's the thing. I started with the purpose of presidential impeachment. Mm-hmm. And to me, the purpose of presidential impeachment, based on every, all of my research and understanding of it, is that the president, it's when the president does something so egregiously wrong that it necessitates overturning the will of the people and that is that the president served, of course, for a full four years they elected him to, mm-hmm. by not just removing him from office, but also by banning him from ever holding mm-hmm. federal office again. And of course, mm-hmm. that's also anti-democratic because it prevents the people from exercising their will to choose him again, or you know, not just for the presidency, but for any other federal office, right? Mm-hmm. And the framers list two specific crimes that would qualify, treason and bribery, but they clearly realized there could be other things that would rise to that level, including things there might not be a specific law prohibiting. So Alan Dershowitz is wrong on that. That's what high crimes and misdemeanors means, and everyone knows it, um, who's not just, you know, in the bag for the president. Um, you know, so this is the historical record bears this out. Constitutional scholars bears. There's really no question about that. In fact, it was even the view of most congressional Republicans, well, back when President Clinton was impeached. So that's what we know about what impeachment is, is for and, and what qualifies. Uh, so would you, would you agree with me to this point? Yes, I, okay. I, I, yes, I would. Okay. So it seems to me that the House has two main roles in this process. Number one, they investigate potential wrongdoing. And number two, they approve articles of impeachment for referral to the Senate. They find it appropriate. That's pretty straightforward, and you wouldn't disagree with mm-hmm. that, I'm sure. No, 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 no. Now, the Senate's yeah. two main roles here are, number one, to determine whether the president's guilty of the offenses that's, that are specified in the articles of impeachment, and only those offenses, because that's what's before them. Mm-hmm. And number two, if he is guilty, to determine whether those offenses are so egregious that they justify overturning the will of the people. Mm-hmm. So... So far, the tricky part. Oh, yeah, definitely the trickier part. (laughs) Yeah. So that to me was was the groundwork, the foundational stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I turned to President Trump's case. And those two articles, abuse of power and obstruction of of Congress. Now, on abuse of power, I think it, it just boggles the imagination to not accept the argument that the president that the president's phone call was somehow perfect or that he did nothing wrong. That's, that's a ridiculous argument to me. Um, and Donald Trump, of course, can make, because he never admits being wrong about anything, but that, <laughs> that, that argument just doesn't pass the, the, snell, the sniff test, the smell test, whatever, that test. 
right? Because even as Lamar Alexander said, there's just a mountain of evidence that says that the president did something wrong here. And uh, so he's guilty of some abuse of his power. Uh, you with me to this point? I am. I okay. am. Okay. Obstruction of Congress. Now, Donald Trump basically said, without invoking executive privilege, he said, no one talked. Uh, and a blanket refusal to release any testimony, any documents or allow any testimony, that, that is obstruction of Congress because there's no claim of executive privilege that's been made. And, and even if one were made, the courts have for a long time now held that privilege does not extend to covering up crimes. And it also can't be asserted as a blanket immunity from any sort of testimony or document release. So to me, there's no question that President Trump is guilty of obstructing Congress. What do you think about that? I take issue with that. Um, okay. I think that we're overlooking a, a really, a really powerful point that was made a couple of weeks ago, and I feel like it's sort of drifted out of favor in the media. But Republicans were making an argument that he's well within his constitutional right to do just that. He can bar witnesses, and I think that. What you're on, talking about. Oh, go ahead. I'm saying on, on, on that question, on what grounds? Because he hasn't he hasn't asserted executive privilege. And so no, he hasn't. And so no, he how, hasn't. what what's his what's his authority to bar all witnesses and all testimony? Well, it would be executive privilege, which is where I think the the problem comes in. I mean, he's well within his constitutional right to do it, but he would have to invoke executive privilege in order to do it. And I think what the question is, because this is not the first time something like this has happened, is how do we go about, you know, how do we manage this from here on out? Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. I This is something that was argued a few weeks ago when, when this was going through the House. And, you know, I just feel like witness after witness after witness, we had 17 witnesses come up and all of that was admitted as evidence in the Senate trial. And it just, all of this just felt to me like the House had these witnesses, they weren't able to make their case sufficiently. And then they sort of pushed it along to the Senate to try to like, well, then you see what you can do with it. It just felt very rushed and unprepared. And I think this was one of those arguments that to me felt a little rushed and unprepared too. Okay. Well, you know, on that, that, that actually ties into something I wanted to yeah. also mention is that it's a lot because I, I said that the Senate has two roles here, right? The first is to say, well, is the president guilty of these, of these charges? And to me, the answer to both of those is, yeah, no question. The case is pretty clear. But then the next question, the second part of the Senate's job is, do they raise the rise to the level of impeachable offenses? That's a, right. That's the first question. The tricky part. That was the easy one. The first <laughs> yeah. one was the easy one to me. Yeah. But so I, when I thought about this one, I thought, well, I don't, I don't know positively that overall case made is strong enough to support a vote to convict. And that's in large part due to the obstruction of Congress, right? Because that's why you obstruct mm, Congress. Mm. So the Congress can't make a good enough case. I mean, otherwise, why would you bother to obstruct? And, but on that, on that obstruction of Congress charge, I also don't feel that the case is strong enough because, and this gets back to your point, the House decided not to attempt to fight the refusals to cooperate. Yeah. And that in fact, me. they didn't even decide to, in fact, they didn't even subpoena these no. folks. And no. had, had they done this and won, and I think they would have won at least in part, 
then, yeah, yeah, and then if those officials and the president had said, no, we're still not going to cooperate, then that's a slam dunk for obstruction. There's no question. That's, you you couldn't, Alan Dershowitz couldn't argue his way out of that, you know? Um, But that would be, that would be the most clear cut impeachable offense you could possibly find, right? I, I think you would agree with me on that. I mean, if he did it the same way he did it the first time around, yes, I think yeah. it, I think I think it would be I think it would rise to the level of obstruction. Yeah. 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 I mean, if, if the court said, well, if he did it, these I mean, we're assuming test- he, he would do it. Yeah, well, I, I, <laughs> I don't know I, that he would. I'm safe to I, I feel that's safe to assume. But if the courts would say if the court said you have to testify and produce these documents and the president said no. Well, that there you go. That that's pretty straightforward, you know. And so but given all this, I. Mm-hmm. I went back to uh, President Clinton's impeachment and Senate trial. Yeah, I did and, too. <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. I, uh, Republican Senator Arlen Specter, I, mm. I, he voted on President Clinton's impeachment. His vote was not proved, therefore not guilty. And in the end, that's how I would vote. Now, I'd also release a statement along with my vote, strongly urging the House to continue its investigation, including strongly urging them to subpoena John Bolton, Rudy Giuliani, Mick Mulvaney, Rick Perry, and President Trump. You know, this idea that, well, why should we even bother to subpoena President Trump? Because the Democrats say, well, because he's, he's just going to lie, or the Republicans say, well, because it's a witch hunt. Well, presidents have been subpoenaed in the past, and it's, no one even considered doing that. And that, to me, is bizarre, that you wouldn't ask the, the, you know, the main person here, hey, did you do this? And you can't, ex- you can't assert executive privilege to answer, to not answer a question about whether or not you committed a crime because executive privilege doesn't cover that. And if he lies about it, then boom, you have a case for perjury. So I get the political calculation here. Mm -hmm. You know, House Democrats knew that they wouldn't have time to build a rock solid case against President Trump. I mean, even if you assume quick resolution of all the legal challenges to subpoenas they might have issued, we're talking probably what I, I would guess articles of impeachment wouldn't have been ready until summer, maybe right before mm-hmm. the election. Yeah. And then at that point, the well, let's let the people decide in a few months argument becomes so strong that I don't think it matters necessarily. You, you still wouldn't get the vote, possibly, though. I think that's a much weaker argument because the you know, with impeachment, of course, and removal, it's not just removal. It's you can't stand for any federal office again. And that to me is, is pretty important. And, and this is where, you know, you mentioned me being disappointed with Democrats. Yeah, I, I am. Because if the only concern of Democrats was to fight egregious presidential abuse of power and egregious obstruction, two things that I think absolutely are the case. And if they really cared first and foremost about protecting our institutions, then they would have taken the time to thoroughly make that case, even if it meant investigating into late 2020, uh, up until, uh, up until January, 2021, when I hope, you know, Joe Biden or someone else will be taking the oath. Um, <laughs> because these things take a long time if you want to do it right, you can't rush it, especially in the face of just, you know, such fierce resistance from, from a president who I feel is, is just thoroughly corrupt. And mm-hmm. so basically I think, What happened here is the Ukraine phone call just sort of fell into Democrats' laps a little too late in the game for them to develop that strongest possible case without potentially, they felt, jeopardizing their electoral goals in 2020. So 
it, bottom line for me is that, uh, is that a number of congressional Democrats decided to put party before country. And that's incredibly disappointing to me. Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen the most compelling case made to impeach and remove who, uh, a man who I believe to be the most, certainly the most corrupt president in my lifetime. Uh, and that didn't happen. And that, I think, is a tragedy. But that's, of course, exactly what Republicans are doing as well, putting party before country, though I'd argue they're doing it in a far more destructive manner, because instead of not working as hard as they possibly could to remove this corrupt man from office, they're just they're actively supporting him because they like some policy goals. Uh, so so there you go. And now, but that leaves me thinking, well. I don't think it's because Democrats or Republicans are unusually in Congress right now or unusually corrupt or craven or anything like that. To me, it's the nature of the system that we have and the incentives in the system, because we have a political environment that has taken party loyalty and elevated it above almost every single other thing. You know, we have this electoral system that basically selects for and rewards people who can raise a lot of money for their party, who are fiercely loyal to their party. And who just play to those most destructive, partisan, uh, disruptive, you know, voters in the base. And as long as we have that system, expecting we're going to have that structure in place and that reward system and that we're going to get different politicians is, is just nuts, you know. And, and so that, that brings me back to the need for not just, you know, blaming the other side and screaming and yelling, but to say, well, what is it about this system that we have? that is giving us these results and how can we change it? And this brings me right back, of course, to the, the plug for the book that Will and I are doing, because that's the whole point. That's the whole reason we're doing this book about, you know, about taking a strong look at our system and understanding, well, if you have a system like this and you have a media environment like this, this is what you're going to get And blaming the people. It's like blaming your dog. If he poops on the rug, you know, he train your dog better, you know? So that's where we're at. I think with this, so that's yeah. my take. So I, you know, I, I obviously have a, a different take, but um, I, I guess where, where I would begin is a kind of, I mean, I have to go on a little bit of a fiery rant here. So one of, the, one of the, in preparing for this show and preparing the introduction, I was, you know, I have to sort of get out of my head as a Republican and as somebody who's a Trump supporter. But, you know, with that being said, I'm not necessarily, um, I'm not beholden necessarily to always supporting Trump. It, it's, you know, there are, there are certainly been things that he's done that I disagree with. Um, to your, to many of your points, I think what that Lamar Alexander's explanation of why he decided to vote yesterday the way he did, I thought kind of summed up what a lot of rational people believe on the right and the left is that did something happen that was wrong? Yes. Did it rise to the level of, you know, being impeached? No, we probably need to get this over with. I think there are a lot of compelling arguments to hear witnesses. I think there are some compelling arguments not to hear witnesses, but I think there are more compelling arguments to hear witnesses. And I think there were some people on the right um, who made those arguments very well. Um, you know, just, you know, I think Susan Collins was the the senator who made a, a comment that we should allow for limited witnesses on both sides. And I thought, you know, maybe that was smart um, because it would sort of limit the amount of time that this would drag on. And um, I think 
one of, anyway, back to my fiery rant. So one of the things that really frustrated me with preparing for this show and, and with preparing for other shows where we've talked about impeachment is how hard it is to find an accurate timeline that doesn't contain opinions and punditry and how hard it is to find like real journalism about a topic as divisive as this. And yeah. I think it speaks, it, it's, it's probably, I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of things that frustrate me, but this is probably the thing about politics that frustrates me the most is just the blatant divisiveness and these partisan you know, hacks who who kind of get out there, you know, policymakers and, and journalists, too, who claim to be, you know, sort of delivering the news or delivering the facts on either side. I mean, it, this this goes equally for Republicans and Democrats. And they're just sort of casting everything in this particular light. And this is what we're digesting as as the American people. We're digesting this partisanship, you know, and I think I think you know, it also goes to the point that if you get out and you actually talk to people like what we're doing now and, and obviously with your book and everything else, when you get out and you talk to people and, and you, you kind of put all of that aside and you talk to a person like a person and you treat a person with, you know, a basic level of respect, you can actually move mountains. You can actually talk to people and understand where people are coming from and you can disagree and that's OK. And I think we've really lost that. So in preparing for this show, I think I looked I was trying to get dates for things, just dates. And and just to get that, I think it took me like 15 minutes to find an article. I don't even remember where I found some of the information, but I just wanted to get a timeline of what happened. So it was accurate just to back up, you know, what I was thinking had happened. And it was it was unbelievably frustrating for yeah. me. Um, yeah. And and it, you know, again, I I've made this point on the show before, but the bias is so rampant. I mean, it's it's getting to the point now where um, about and 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 I feel like every time something comes up about Donald Trump or about Republicans versus Democrats or 2020, it's like people get so red in the face and they get so worked up, and you just kind of want to grab you know, whoever you're talking to and say, like, let's talk about this, you know, because it is divisive. But I think this is what's going on in the Senate right now is we're just so divided. And Americans are watching this on TV. They're seeing this, you know, and it's it just I just I just don't think there's an end to 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 this, which is depressing. You know, I hope there's an end. I want to believe there's an end. But this is really all about 2020. And this is all about, you know, in the end, this is all about politics. And I do think that both Republicans and Democrats, to your point again, I think that both Republicans and Democrats have put party over I guess, integrity, um, you know, doing the will of the people, you know, doing what they're supposed to doing their jobs. I mean, I've made so many comments over the last couple of weeks to my husband that I I can't remember the last time I saw Congress work this hard. (laughs) You know, the last time I saw the Senate work this hard. And to me, that's that's really depressing that it was over something this divisive and this political. And we knew the outcome. I mean, we we, I mean, the outcome, I guess, hasn't really happened yet. It'll happen Wednesday. Um, But we all sort of I mean, I, I think all signs are leading to an acquittal. And then this, you know, this may come up again and we may see another, you know, we may have to go through this again. And it's just, I don't know, the, the whole thing. No wonder we have impeachment fatigue yeah. syndrome. I'm, I mean, really. I'm, I'm, I'm disgusted. And, you know, I think it I was at, at the beginning of the trial when John Roberts made that comment about, you know, watch what you're saying. This is Remember, you're in the world's greatest deliberative body, and it's hard. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, so so sad, so sad. I think you know that's that we can agree on that. No matter which side you come down Um, on, that uh, that uh, our our institutions just seem to regularly fail us, and that's just 
Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> let's. Well, what do you say we move on before I get too depressed? Let's move on to something. I don't. I don't know. Less depressing. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk me, about, at least. Yeah. Yeah. For you. For me, I'm. I'm just kind of ambivalent about it, but um, but I still find it extraordinarily interesting. So um, we're going to talk about the Iowa caucuses next. So th- this is all going to go down on Monday. Um, the Iowa caucuses are right around the corner and Democrats across the state will gather to choose their candidates. In, and this is sort of the first step of many steps. There are many, many steps towards choosing a party nominee for 2020. So this is kind of the first step. Um, and there are, um, though, many issues that are sort of brewing and uh, that are surrounding the caucuses right now. There are issues with the Iowa caucuses in general. I'm sure we'll get into that. But um, um, there are also many issues this year in particular, and one of these issues is an allegation that's starting to pick up some steam that there's a stop Bernie movement. So I was interested to hear your opinion on that. And that's something that's sort of developing within the Democratic Party. And I know a lot of Bernie supporters are very upset about that. They feel like he was, um, you know, he was overlooked and, you know, that's a that's a too kind a word, but they feel like he was overlooked in 2016. So, you know, I'm not surprised that this is coming out again in 2020. So, yeah, that's what's going on. And that's this week. So all eyes will be on Iowa. And just as a side note, every four years, I do a little Googling about the Iowa caucuses. If you haven't ever Googled how they work, you should, because it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I forget how fascinating caucuses are. I mean, they're like these little town hall meetings. It's it's really crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I, on one hand, it's you can say, well, there are uh, Iowa, there are 49 delegates up for grabs, and that's the winner will get up up proportion of those because it's not winner take all. No, and no. to win the nomination, you need 1,990 delegates because there are almost 4,000 total delegates. Look at it that way. So I was like, well, you know, it's the small potatoes, right? Uh, but also, you know, research shows that the winner of Iowa tends to get a nice boost further on. Yeah, understandably it's about momentum so. really is, yeah. is what the Iowa caucuses are about, but, which is interesting. But, but I mean, really, I, I, this will give us a much better sense. And it's, of course, we're all excited for the first actual contest, but we're not going to really know where things are until Super Tuesday when there are just a ton of yep. delegates that are up for grabs, right? And that's, I mean, you know, for instance, what we have in, say, California has 415 delegates as compared to Iowa's uh, 40, you know, 40, I say 49, I think I said. So that's a, you know, that's a pretty big difference obviously and so mm-hmm. but 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 so yeah still you're right and that i was going to matter and it looks like right now that bernie is surging and biden's a strong second and then you know you have uh Buttigieg and warren but the one of the interesting things about iowa of course is that who people are going to choose as their second choice because for those candidates who don't make the 15 percent viability then they go to their they go and move over to their second choice person and get mm-hmm. their votes and so and we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, the, the the interesting thing to me this week has been the, I wouldn't call it a stop Bernie movement because we haven't really seen that yet. I was going to say it's not really there yet, but it. Yeah, no, because I think, yeah, a yeah. lot of people are concerned. A lot of centrist, there's this uh, centrist Democratic uh, group called Third, I think it's Third Way, and they've been pushing this. And mm-hmm. some other groups just, you know, basically saying that electing Bernie Sanders would be insane given some of the things he said and all this. And so that's obviously the impetus for this. But they also know that there is a huge enthusiasm gap between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, who's the 
you know, most likely nominee. And they don't necessarily want to alienate uh, mm-hmm. the, the young, enthusiastic Bernie voters uh, because they don't want them to stay home on, on Election Day, certainly. So there are some, you know, uh, competing uh, forces, countervailing forces here. But for me, if you are a progressive, like I know a lot of listeners are, I think you see this as the best chance you may ever get to elect somebody who truly stands with you. You know, I mean, I don't think really since really since the early 1970s, before a lot of our listeners were, were born, uh, and certainly before, you know, I was uh, politically <laughs> active in any, any way, uh, there really hasn't been this kind of potential opportunity for the left. And so, yeah, if you're on the left, you say, well, should we just squander this by electing another Wall Street, go along to get along, Clintonian, OK, boomer, Republic or Republic crat? <laughs> Or do we actually try to push through some real change? So I get that. I get that impetus, you know. Uh, and it, so for Bernie, I think what we would have if he ends up winning the election is, I think we get policy results that are just about the same as under Biden or, or Buttigieg. You know, we'd see liberal judicial nominations. We'd see a lot of deregulation, all that executive action stuff. But it would be at least better in one way for progressives because then democratic socialism would be normalized in the way that, well, it never has been before in this country. And I think that's a, I think that's a good thing, actually. I think that's a real positive. But of course, if he's the, that, that's a big assumption that he can win the presidency because a lot of things that Bernie's the nominee are going to come up, like, you know, his, uh, he's, he praised Venezuela's government in the past and said all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff that really, while they came out a little bit in 2016, what the Trump campaign would do to these and would do with these things in the general election, uh, you know, go to 270 to win and pull up their uh, pull up their presidential election interactive map and look at the states that are being challenged. And you think, well, sure, Bernie's going to. Bernie's going to play great in California and Oregon and, and Washington and New York and, and, you know, but, but in Michigan and in, in Minnesota, mm, I don't, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't think so. I, I, I'm not saying that I disagree with a lot of Bernie's positions, though I do in some respects, at, at least in terms, not necessarily in terms of goals, but in terms of incrementalism, because I'm that weird sort of Berkey and liberal, right? But I think it's going to be really tough to defend some of these views. And he's never really had to do this before on that kind of stage. And so that's my concern. My concern is that, yeah, I think if if he gets elected, I'll be, I'll be pleased as heck. I'll be proud to say Bernie Sanders is president of the United States. Oh my gosh. I'll be happy to say that. (laughs) I think it'll be good for a lot of reasons, but, but what I think is going to happen is uh, the, the first, the first Wednesday in November, uh, I'm going to say to a lot of my progressive friends, God, I told you this was going to happen. And I just don't want to be in that position even a little bit. So that's my take. So I, I talked about this in last week's quick take because, um, yep. I, 
I made a I made a prediction and I, I'll tell you, sometimes I make predictions and they come true. And sometimes I make predictions and they don't come true. This one came true. I knew that this would come back this week and it'll probably pick up steam as, you know, you get more and more people coming out against Bernie Sanders. And like you said, I don't think it's a movement necessarily. That's a really strong word to use. But that's sort of the way it's being described in the media, That's especially the media that's friendly to him as this movement against him. And I think in 2016, you know, again, looking at this as, from a Republican's perspective. In 2016, um, you know, when he started surging, he was surging in these very very specific demographics. And I think it was clear to a lot of us on on the right and on the left, both, that Hillary Clinton was going to take the nomination. Um, And that no matter what Bernie Sanders said or did, I mean, even though there was a there was a small part of me, even though I, 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 he's probably the candidate I disagree with the most of all the candidates on the left. He's the one that I sometimes feel bad for just as a human being because of what was being done to him a little bit in 2016. I mean, there was, I think, an effort to suppress um, support for him. And, and although I still believe that Hillary Clinton would have gotten that nomination just because of the reasons you laid out, you know, you have all these purple states, um, these sort of, uh, you know, you have like this big you know, broad swath of these blue collar Democrats, um, you know, who are, you know, looking for something different. They're not looking for democratic socialism. They're looking for bigger paychecks, lower gas prices. Um, you know, these, you, you know, they're not all going to be these, you know, coastal academic types that understand what he's talking about and can see it playing out in theory. Um, they can't visualize that. They're they're a little more pragmatic. So, you know, I think that in 2020, we're seeing sort of this, I do think there is an effort to stop Bernie, but I think it's for the reasons, again, that you laid out. I think that it's not possible that he will win. Um, I don't think that he's a particularly viable candidate against Donald Trump, um, who does play well along some of the same demographics. I mean, there was a big argument on the right after 2016 that a lot of the Bernie voters jumped to voting for Trump. And I mean, I don't know of one. I Not yeah, that I know everybody, yeah. but I don't know of one. I think maybe there may have been a few, but I, I don't know who they are. I don't think it was as, as big a deal as people made it to be. Um, you know, I've predicted from the beginning that um, that I thought Biden would be the nominee for, again, for those reasons, um, because he plays well in those purple states. And I, and I also think, and I've said it again on this on this program before, Obama nostalgia. I think people, um, you know. I've got it. Oh, yeah. my God. I've got super no yeah, Obama nostalgia. I know, and I know. And you're not the only one. I know I have a lot of Democrat friends who feel this Obama nostalgia. And a lot of them were really frustrated with him when he left office. And they were, you know, frustrated that he didn't, you know, he didn't. Um, he didn't sort of uh, socialize health care. And he, you know, he carried on a lot of these Bush era policies. I think I talked about that on the quick take last week, too. But, um, you know, a lot of them are frustrated, but now they're feeling it in the same way that, you know, once Bush left office, I wasn't the biggest Bush supporter in the world, but I supported him. Um, you know, and Obama came and I had a little bit of Bush nostalgia. <laughs> you know, I think this is just what happens. Um, and so I, I that's why I think Biden will, will likely get the nomination. But yeah, I mean, I, I think think this is interesting. I, I predicted last week that it was going to get bigger. I think it'll be interesting to watch this. I think Hillary Clinton making statements that are kind of anti-Bernie was funny, I guess, as a Republican. I, I thought the whole it, thing was funny. Yeah. It, it's hard for me. I'll admit it's hard for me to, to, to be at all level-headed 
when it comes to Hillary Clinton. And that's because, you know, my history with Hillary Clinton, not personally, obviously, dates back a long time. In fact, back when I was a, back when I was a conservative. And so I have a lot of weird emotions about the Clintons. And so I can't even be, I can't even be anywhere close to, you know, fair and objective when it comes to Hillary Clinton. I'm, I, I am longing for a time when I, I don't hear Clinton and Democratic Party in the same sentence, and maybe that'll happen in my lifetime. I don't know, but uh, that's that's what I hope. You know, also on the Biden thing, I think it's interesting that uh, Trump, that there are a lot of Trump surrogates that are you know, descending upon Iowa in these last days to make the case. They say it's not to argue against Joe Biden, but pretty clearly from their messaging, you know, it's very... Uh, uh, it's very anti-Biden. In fact, even uh, uh, Rick Scott, uh, your, your your own Florida's yeah, Rick Scott, Rick Scott. <laughs> began running uh, began running uh, running television ads in Iowa this week, yep. accusing yep. Biden of corruption. And so, you, I mean, you know, obviously, who the Trump campaign doesn't want to be the nominee. I would say. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think in a in a lot of ways the polls kind of speak for themselves. But I I you know as a Republican. Um, as somebody who will be supporting Trump in 2020, he's I wouldn't say that he that Biden scares me, but I, I he's the one that I if if one person had the chance to, you know, run a formidable race against Donald Trump and possibly beat him, I think it would be Joe Biden again for what we were talking about earlier about the swing states and Obama nostalgia. And he he represents kind of a um, I don't want to say a sunnier time because it's such a, such a weird phrase, but it's kind of a sunnier time for the Democratic Party when things didn't look so bleak and so dark. And, um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people again, I, I don't know a lot of people who have like clearly chosen a, a Democratic candidate, a lot of Democrats who have chosen somebody. But the the few people I know who have chosen Biden, I mean, this is kind of what they lay out for me, because I love asking people, why are you supporting Buttigieg? Why are you supporting Joe Biden? I'm just curious, you know, and a lot of them say that they're like, well, you know, Warren and Sanders are too left wing. And, and you know, I'm not a socialist. Um, I can't relate to Buttigieg. I had one friend actually tell me that this week, but Biden seems like a like a solid middle ground. So I guess I'll vote for Biden. And I think this would probably be the rationale of a lot of Democrats yeah. who who did vote in November 2020 is like, well, I guess I'll, I'll vote for Biden, which then begs the question, is is that enough? You know, <laughs> yeah. well, and but again, I think on, on, on the left, there are a lot of people who feel that a vote for Biden is is a wasted opportunity. And I yeah. I, I get that. I actually think that Bernie Sanders does stand the chance of winning. I think in our current environment, pretty much anyone who either of the major parties nominates stands a, at least some chance of, sure. of winning. Uh, but, you know, also in terms of the other thing I wanted to mention in terms of the uh, campaign to try to stop uh, Bernie Sanders, there's also been some talk among some uh, DNC uh, higher ups that maybe they should revisit their rules that don't allow superdelegates to vote on the first ballot. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to come to anything, delegate. but. <laughs> but, but, you know, and, and this is when this is when my kind of radical side comes up. It, back in 2016, we were we were doing the show actually then. And there were times when I would just I would just listen to Bernie and read Bernie. And, and I would get I would get inspired. I remembered what my younger self was like when I still had ideals and things like that and wasn't so, you know, jaded and so forth. And I, I got worked up because and I feel that with, with Bernie and I understand Folks on the folks on the progressive left who are frustrated by a government that seems enthralled to the financial and you know, Wall Street interest, and I agree that that's a huge problem. And so, 
I get that. And there are times when I would like nothing more than to see a, a fiery progressive as president of the United States. Uh, I don't think it's <laughs> going to happen, uh, but, uh, but I get that. And I, I, can, I can definitely feel that. And we'll see how that, uh, how that urge wells up in me <laughs> as, I, uh, <laughs> as we go through this, this season. But, you know, one other thing I wanted to ask you, Kristen. Yeah. You, I know you're committed to voting for Donald Trump against any of any of the Democratic, uh, any of the Democratic candidates. And mm-hmm. so I was just wondering, especially in light of impeachment and all that, is there anything that Donald Trump could say or do that would make you either vote for a Democratic opponent or just not vote for president in 2020? Is there is is there just mm. it's just a matter of it just doesn't matter. I mean, I assume. Oh, no, no, no. I assume that if Donald Trump, a tape came, came out when that he yeah. there were all kinds of, say, racial slurs and, and, and things like that. And him that, that might be too much. But I mean, is that you're not saying that I don't care what he says or what he does? Oh, no, it's, no. It's judges and judges and deregulation matter more than anything else. Well, you know, I've I've been asked this question on the show before, um, and I and I'm asked this question from time to time. Um, I think that I've made it really clear um, on this show and and to people just in general that I don't really necessarily believe in voting for a person as much as I believe in voting for um, what they plan to bring about, what they've done, what they're doing goals. I look towards sort of the end game. What is what is the end game? And the reason that I've become that way, and I say become because there was a time in my life where I did vote for the person and and those things did matter. I, I think it's important. I think, you know, generally it's, it's, you know, somebody has to, you know, I don't want to say appear presidential, but, you know, I think that there are certain leadership qualities and there's a certain amount of maturity that is lacking in uh, in, in President Trump. But Ultimately, the reason why I'll be voting for him in 2020 is about the end game and the goals. There are things that are important to me that are priorities for me and my family and, and you know, just in terms of our futures that I think are best served under President Trump versus President Biden or President uh, Warren or President Sanders. Um I don't know, and I'm and I'm thinking about. It, I'm looking at the the left now. I'm sort of picturing them in my head. I don't know that there's a situation where I would vote for a Democrat for president, unless it was something so egregious, and there was a candidate that was middle of the road enough and had you know sort of given me reason to believe that they may be working towards some of the same goals um, sure. that that I that I deem important, like. I know um, I have uh, some some of my family um, who's a a staunch Democrat loves to say that he voted for um, Bush senior, I I think for reelection, actually. I don't think he voted for Bill Clinton. And he kind of lays out the reasons and and a lot of why he voted for him uh, were, were a lot of the reasons were economic in nature. And I understood it. And I think if I was faced with a similar situation where there was a candidate on, you know, for the 
for the other side, for, you know, a Democratic candidate who was saying a lot of things that that I understood and things that spoke to me and sort of were in line with my goals. I, you know, I think I would. I don't see that in 2020. I didn't see that in 2016. I don't see it in 2020 happening. I think a more likely scenario, if something was so egregious, you know, if, if there was something that in my mind rose to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors or, you know, like you said, if this like bombshell tape came out with all these horrific things said about whoever um, that just turned my stomach so much that I couldn't vote for Donald Trump, I probably would just not vote yeah, for president. Yeah. And that just seems like a it, it just it seems like a like a solution. But again, you know, I, I haven't seen that yet. My But my eyes are open. I'm not, you know, a Republican who's married to the Republican Party and to Donald Trump. I, you know, keep my eyes open. This is what I am, because right now it suits what I think is important and what my goals are. And, you know, my eyes are open. I'm watching, I'm watching right. him. Well, that's that. And yeah. I, I, of course, I, I of course, well, I'm saying, of course, but I knew that. And I just wanted to emphasize yeah. that and give you a chance to sort of explain that, because I think there are some people certainly who would say, I don't care what he says, what he does. It's, you oh, know, yeah, I know Donald Trump all the way. And yeah. you're not you're not running around with your MAGA hat and sort of, you know, waving and I know the people banner. who are the opposite, who say I will vote for him, against him no matter what he does. You know, sure. so it, it's just this is where we are. Absolutely. This <laughs> yeah. is where we are. And where yeah. we also are is at end of today's yeah. <laughs> show but but there's going to be more Kristen and i as soon as we're done with this we are going to be recording our bonus show just for patreon supporters i think today we're going to talk about a show uh, uh, sorry a story we didn't get a chance to get to and that's the israel uh, peace plan that was the other big news this week and mm-hmm. maybe we'll talk i don't know if we have time about that those resolutions the house passed against the uh, uh, use of use of force and to uh, to withdraw the use of force authorization that's been used for everything since 9-11, basically. So mm-hmm. that'll be interesting. And of course, that'll be available to all of our Patreon supporters. And we have a very special quick take this week. Trey actually went to Washington, D.C. and sat in on yesterday's Senate proceedings. And right when they got done, he went outside and recorded in front of the U.S. Capitol. And we have that up there as a quick take for our Patreon supporters. And so definitely you'll want to check that out. Mm-hmm. And also, if you want to get in touch with us, you know how to do it. The mailapoliticsguys.com. There's our just bipartisan, sorry, our bipartisan politics subreddit, which has just been truly great. Thanks everyone who's participated in that. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash politics guys page. We're on Twitter at politics guys. And oh yeah, I forgot to mention, of course, if you want to become a Patreon supporter, I'm getting a little out of order, patreon.com slash politics guys. And we would really appreciate it if you could share this episode. If you feel like it's worth sharing, I'd share it for sure. And I will, and we hope you will too. Leave ratings and reviews. And uh, that really helps us get the word out to everyone. The executive producer of The Politics Guys, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andra Masker, and Daniel Toe. Today's show is produced by Krista Matheny and Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.